Hi, this is Dawn Shireen, and this is my podcast, Dancing with Bipolar. Today we're going to talk a little bit about depression with Trevor Henderson. Trevor is a public speaker, a recovering freelance IT consultant, and also president of the Speakers of Croydon Toastmasters Speaking Group since 2018. So without further ado, let's have Trevor join the conversation. Hello. Hello, Dawn. Hi. How are Hello. you? Hello. Can you hear me? I'm good. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Yeah, brilliant. So, brilliant. How are you doing today? Or this evening, actually, yeah. for you? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yes, you're right. Uh, we're in the, uh, in the UK here. It's, it's seven o'clock in the evening. Yeah, and it's just noon here in Arizona, so... <laughs> Yeah, is good ones. Yeah, so okay, so Trevor, I gave a, a little bit of an inter- introduction before you popped online here, so people knew um, what they'd be listening to today. But if you want to just give um, a brief overview of your story up until the point of where your situational depression hit you, um, just feel free to hear a little bit about you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, um, oh, I've. I've I'm, uh, I'm not a young man. I'm going to be 60 this year in December. And I've spent my life just, I suppose, uh, I suppose feeling with, in some respect, with a feeling of inferiority that started when I was a child. Um, I was, it was 1973 and I was a 13 year old boy. And I was called to my, um, my tutor's teacher's office and yet again it was in those days it was the naughty boys got the cane and I was a, mm. I was a bad boy and uh, I was expecting as usual to be given the cane and the teacher looked at me really exasperated and said so Henderson what are you going to do with your life and I'd already had this conversation. I'd already talked to my father about this. And said, well, you know, I'd watch TV adverts. And I said, do you know, when I grow up, I want to join the Navy and see the world. Huh. He said, well, that's, um, that's a great, that's great, son. But they won't take you. Unfortunately, because you're colorblind, you can't join the Navy. Uh. And I was, felt deflated. Yeah. He said, but there is, there is a solution there. You could join as a non-commissioned officer, an NCO. And I said, well, what's, what's that, Dad? And he said, well, you could, you could go in as a doctor. And, um, and that way you could join the Navy. And I thought, well, this is great. Go to a 13-year-old boy. You could do what you want, join the Navy, see the world, and help other people become a doctor. So when the teacher asked me this, I thought, well, I said to him, well, I've already, I know what I want to do. I want to be a doctor and join the Navy and see the world. And he said, well, don't talk. He sat back in his chair with a big grin on his face. He said, don't talk silly, boy. You've got to be clever to be a doctor. You, boy, you're just not clever. <sighs> you That's awful. Yeah. I said, you need to aim lower. You need to be something like a milkman. 
And I walked out of that office, 13 years old. All my dreams, my childhood desires and dreams just shattered. Wow. That's, That's awful fine. that teacher said that to you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, she said. She obviously didn't appreciate the impact a comment like that would have. No, he never thought about the repercussions of, yeah, childhood trauma. Oh, my God. So so that Saturday, though I was standing at the roundabout in a freezing, frosty morning as the milkman pulled up and I jumped on the milk float because at 13, I was already doing a milk round. And I thought, hang on a minute, I'm doing, I'm a milkman now, effectively, I can do everything except to drive the vehicle. What do I need to go to school for? So I stopped going to school. I would skive off when I could. I'd, I'd you know, just, I'd sit in the class and just do nothing. I'd, I would, you know, look out the window, doodle on the page, just do nothing. And, uh, and then it got to the point where my education was clearly going downhill. My school right. was coming back really bad. And, um, and one day my parents said, you know, listen, son, we've got uh, an opportunity. There's a school and, uh, that would like to interview you. And this could be a big deal for you. You know, this could be big. But uh, I didn't know anything about it. I asked, okay, what, what is it? And it's called a technical college. And, um, and I said, okay, well, I'll go along. And I was blown away. The, the place was totally different to a school I'd ever seen before. It was specialised in woodwork and metalwork and something that I had never heard of before, technical drawing. And I just, when I, when I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was like my dreams come true. <laughs> I sat through this interview and they accepted me. Why, why would they accept a stupid boy? I don't know. But they accepted me and I joined this new school. And it was, oh, it was incredible. They, I, it was a hard work. It was not easy. It was a struggle, but technical drawing was opened my eyes to a new world, and I found that. Well, that I, I walked away out of that school. I stayed on for an extra year, so after in three years of study, I walked away with seven exams, all with aces of grades. Which, for the stupid boy who was expected to walk away with nothing, was just like phenomenal. Right. Um, and I, I didn't even appreciate what had happened. I just didn't understand at the time until years and years later I reflected on what happened and realised that these guys got me. They understood that I was different to other people. And, uh, and I went on to have a, a very successful career. I went on to work for... I worked in IT. Yeah. Not, I mean, I just landed into IT seemed to realize that I, I could relate to computers far more than I could relate to, to the world that traditional learning was giving me, but didn't understand why. Um, worked my way up, freelanced for the likes of IBM and banks and insurance companies, and spent over 30 years in IT, 20 of it freelancing. I had a very, very successful career. 
but um, you really didn't enjoy it though did you you're up until a point no. maybe you did but for the most part your it career as successful as it as it was was not your life goal no 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 because so when i was at school what i the technical drawing and the metal work had opened a new world to me and i wanted to be a blacksmith oh no kidding yeah but there was there was no work for blacksmiths there's no way a blacksmith could make money so i didn't know you know out of necessity i um i fell into it just by chance yeah um but then yeah i i did a job i was very good at it i was very successful at it but you're right i i didn't enjoy the work i didn't enjoy the job it it changed so much over time it got to um it became a world where instead of working with people you're working on your own so my last contract that i had which is in 20 2014 it was it was uh, february 2014 and i had this job for a major bank contract starting and the week before it started they said we've closed the office down but we still want the work to go ahead and you're going to be in a team of 120 people but would you mind working five days from home and i thought well, that's great yeah yeah i'll try that i've never done this before but yeah i'll work five days from home and i set up a little office a little six by nine box room turned it into an office and started working in there and it, it turned out all the work was effectively email you know it was all done by email and i didn't see anyone wow screen so it's like isolation like you were in solitary confinement while you're doing this job it was like it was like sitting in a, in a prison it was you know, all day every day sitting in a room staring at a screen wow. and so, you know, go ahead. two and a half years into it i had a phone call from them and they said right the bank has decided that they're going to cancel the project, which is to be expected as a freelancer. Right. And all 120 of you, your contracts are now terminated. And everything that you've all done has already been deleted. Wow. And I just had this, I had this, um, well, I had this, this thought, what, what have I done this for? Why have I done this? What, is that what life's all about? Is life all about making money? Sitting in an office, staring at a screen and making money? Is there nothing more to life than making money? Uh, why, why do we do these things? And I just, I, I, well, I, I, the contract finished and that was in September 2016. So is that when your reactive depression is that when that is that when that started at the end of that job period or had it already well, been creeping up on had, you? Yeah, it had already been creeping up on me. Um, so there were there were a number of things that were were happening in my life that that I hadn't realised. Uh, in March 2016, 
my mother passed away. It was, she suffered from Parkinson's. She'd suffered very badly before her death. Um, my father had turned to drink. Mm. I was, my, my brother lives miles at the other end of the country. I was bearing the brunt of all my mother's problems, her father's problems, my father becoming abusive, more and more abusive with the more and more he drank. And they, they were a long way, but they're, they're uh, nearly an hour's drive away from us. So being woken up in the middle of the night and have to drive down there and resolve them, all this had built up on me. And then when she passed away, my father just broke down and got even worse. And I had to deal with with everything, the estate, with everything. Um, I, I ended up, so leading up to to that, I suppose, it, see, when I was in 2009, when I was 50 years old, I had an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity. I had an opportunity to sail the Atlantic, to act as crew on a boat and sail across the Atlantic. And I did that, and it was an incredible, it's an amazing experience. But it was also a massive turning point in my life because I suddenly started mixing with other people that had had a different life to me. Right. Other people that, that, that were incredibly wealthy and become incredibly wealthy by not working hard, which is contrary to my beliefs. I was brought up to believe the harder the work, the harder you work, the more money you get. Right, right. <laughs> and, 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 and so you've got to work as hard as you can. And someday, sometimes, in our hard times, I would have, I remember having three jobs and get, living on four hours sleep a night because we had three jobs because I thought you needed to do all this to become successful. I was, my eyes opened to this other world and I thought, hang on a minute, life doesn't, you know, Life doesn't have to be like this. So that, I suppose that was the start of what I would say was my, um, my midlife crisis at, at, at that age. So from 2009 onwards, I basically dipped in and out of contracts. Yeah. But that meant, because I was dipping into contracts and then out of them, then into them, and then out of them. Financially, I was starting to struggle because I wasn't having a regular income right and I started thinking I needed to somehow resolve this and get around it you know, do something and make money so I started trying all sorts of harebrained schemes to make money and they weren't working and nothing was working and I was getting a bigger hole and it was getting worse and worse and worse and then on top of that then my mother passed away then um then come, oh, come September 2016, I had this period where um, the, the contract had ended and I thought, I just can't go back and do this work anymore. I cannot do this job. But I don't know what to do. Because I've tried things, other things and nothing's worked. Right. And I didn't know what to do. So literally I realised I was already feeling depressed and you know people already commented on things but I was in total denial 
Yeah, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. Um, so I spent the next 18 months sitting in front of the TV every day, <laughs> doing nothing. Doing yeah, I'm not TV. laughing at you. I've been there. I totally get that, you know, like, yeah. you're just like in a pit, like, you know, yeah. and yours was... And yours was basically situational. I mean, I mean, so you had a, a job you hated, um, a contract that ended, and you've done all kinds of work that basically led to nothing. Um, I mean, your your father is your father is drowning his grief in alcohol, mm-hmm. and you're trying all these harebrained schemes where you're probably actually losing money on these deals more than you're making any money on them, and um, and there you are sitting in front of your TV for 18 months with with no clue not knowing where to go not knowing what to do and how to how to make things work you know what what do you do with your life just questioning just questioning my whole life yeah questioning well and then you have this thing from this teacher that's probably still pounding in the back of your head that you know you're going to grow up to be an absolute nothing and here you are at, t- at what at 50 at 50ish years old yeah, yeah. this was so starting in my 50s my, my yeah uh, my, so you're sitting here at your half life yeah your half life point going what the hell <laughs> right? what have i done with my life, with my life? I t- and i knew exactly what i'd done with my life Standing off, staring at a screen. I think I had a family, and I brought a family up. But it was, but even even your family, isn't your whole life because I'd spent more than the time that I'd spent with my family in an office staring at a screen. Yeah. And the bulk of my life had been that's that that computer screen, and it was. You know, I, I was questioning, what have I done with my life? What have I achieved? Is this what life is all about? We all have one life. We've got one life. And it's our own. And it's no one else's. And there's no more than one of them. And what do you do with it? And I suddenly, and I realized that I was wasting life. I was doing nothing with it. It was being wasted. So is this a time when you, um, were you led into therapy or how did this go about that you got yourself help? Because I mean, did you, did you, are we back? Hello Dawn, hi, I'm okay. back. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. So, no, and, and so we're at the point of um, talking about how you um, came through this. Yeah, so it, it was so the end of 2017. Um, it's come up to the end of 2017, and things were not good. You know, I was I was not bad um, because I wasn't working, earning any money, no income. The finances were getting worse, and it all came to a head. And my wife sat down with me and said, "Something's got to change. Something's you know you've got to. This is not right. Something's happening. It's wrong." So. I, yeah, I'd been denial, been in denial, and then finally went to the doctors. Um, the doctor yeah, died my nose and said, yeah, you're definitely suffering from depression. And I was like, 
Obviamente está o gente não é lá. Eu disse, não, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have depression. I don't, I don't have that. It's not okay. But yeah, so um, she she um, referred me, and I started uh, cognitive behavioural therapy (CBT). And uh, yeah, sure enough, it was it was weird. I just sat, <laughs> for the first time ever, I just sat in a room with people that were going through the same thing as me that I could relate to, that I understood. You know, we all had the same similar problems, had similar experiences. And uh, yeah. And that was so so what I did was I, I started CBT and I started getting a job. I went and got a job. Now I was the trouble with the job was I was earning a lot of money. I had a great position and I was earning a lot of cash. And one of the things I, I had was I can't go and do a job that's beneath me because what had happened was I had defined myself by the job. I have got to do something like this. I've got to earn this much money. I've got to have something with this level of responsibility. Something like that. It was the job had defined me. Work right. defined me. And as much as I hated it, and didn't enjoy it, it defined me. And I didn't know how to get around that and change that. And yeah, I the job I took a job up as a van driver delivering groceries. And I absolutely enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. I really liked going out and meeting people. So I did that for six months. And that with a CBT basically got me back on my feet. And the CBT gave me the, um, the skills I needed to right. overcome the problems and, and address my problems. And, right. and did you and, get, and did, you get did you get so, through this without medication or did they? Um, yeah, without. Yes, that's without so medication. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, so they did ask if I wanted medication. I refused it, partly because I... Be honest, I'm one of these people that doesn't take medication for anything. You know, I'm very, um, yeah, I headaches or anything. I, I just, I don't, I'm very anti-medication. Right. So, so, um, but that's my personal feelings. You know, that's that's. How right. I no, feel. I get that. Yeah, I hate yeah. medication too, but I have to take medication daily. Otherwise, yeah. I um, start to, I, I become delusional. Truthfully, is what happens to me without medication. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um because I have the bi I have bipolar, but I also have um, a form of um, schizoaffective disorder. So when I get a little bit too far off the rails, yeah, <laughs> pull me back in is a little hard. Um, although I mean, when I was when I I want to so I want to ask you this. So you said that when you were first told that you had the depression, that you like you wanted to go into denial about that. Was that because yes. you felt like it meant there was a form of weakness or something with the depression or oh, just because of what yeah, you had heard, yeah. the stigma? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it was, well, I, I, I've now, so I, I've, with time, I've, and, you know, what's happened, I've experienced a lot of things and understand, understood a lot of things a lot more. So I, I've, thought that people with um, 
who suffered from depression or some kind of mental health were mental, were mad. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, sorry if that upsets everyone on this podcast, but that's, that was my belief. Yeah? And I now know that was wrong. And I now know where that comes from. And I know exactly where that comes from now. So I was a child and we had a, a uh, uncle called Uncle Doug. And Doug, uh, Doug and Carol, they were, and they lived a few miles down the road. And I remember sitting in the car, we'd been to visit them, and um, Doug had been suffering from, had a, a mental breakdown and been suffering from depression. And I remember my father in the car saying, oh, bloody hell, he's a bloody idiot, he's bloody mad, he's bloody mad. Yeah? He needs to be locked up and put in a bloody institution because he's bloody mad. So, you know, I was a child sitting in the back of a car with my brother. What happened was I hadn't realised I'd associated that belief. I'd formed this belief based on this sentence that my father had said to my mother in the car. Years ago, during a very formative stage of your life. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, I, and so in my mind, you know, to admit that I was like that, to admit that I had depression, would one, make me weak, and two, make me categorise me as being mad, mm-hmm. being mental. Yeah? Because that was my belief that I had been given by my parents. And our parents do this. And sometimes they do things with the best of intentions, um, and don't realise don't realize what they're doing. And I've probably done the same with my children. At some point, have said something in which, where they have formed a belief. Well, I mean, you don't think about and it. I've never yeah. corrected. No, you don't. You know, that's what we say. Sorry, you're breaking no, you up. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You go first. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, so I was just going to say, you think about the things you see your children, your parents say to you, you they tell you things and you believe them for example santa claus right the tooth fairy right yeah i always go tell you kids if any kids are listening to this make them like turn away now but yeah the lies (laughs) the lies they tell us and you know and then later on, it's like, but what am I supposed to believe now? Because you told me all this stuff that was false. And now, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I so, so exactly, exactly. You, and you accept, you accept so many things that you're, that you're, um, that, that people in these senior positions, in these bigger positions tell you, for example, don't talk stupid, Henson. You're not clever. Yeah, we accept these things and we take them and internalize them and create a belief around these words that they've given us. That's haunted you, huh? Did the CBT help you at all come to terms with that teacher? Because I have had similar experiences where things that were said to me in my childhood have just like just basked in this, my brain waves, you know, and they come up at like the most unopportune times where your confidence is peaking and you're all feeling good. Then all of a sudden that one thing will take you straight back to that incident and you're back to being that 13 year old boy again, or I'm back to being that nine year old girl again, or, 
you know, yeah. did, did, the yeah. tool belt, did they give you anything in your tool belt to try to help you to, um, you know, alleviate yeah. that some? Well, it didn't know because at that time, to be honest, I was dealing with so many other things. That particular thing with and that story weren't um, weren't something that that was on my mind. So what happened when I started driving? So I spent six months driving. Um, this was only eighteen months ago. I started it. Started right. so I did six months driving a grocery van. It's still fresh. Yeah. Over, yeah, and then just over a year later. I decided, so after six months, I decided I needed to do something. And the money wasn't the important thing. I'd started to come to terms with all this. Money's not the important thing. It's, it's the individual is the important thing. And I started looking for something different. And I found a job working with people with learning difficulties. And, and it, using my um, IT background, right. I was training these mature students, people going for higher education, how to use um, technology to improve their studies. And in this, in this journey and helping them, I suddenly realized that I related to some of these guys and, and I did things that they understood. I, I suddenly realized that, that my, my mind all my life, I knew I was different, and my mind worked different to other people. But I didn't know why. I just knew that I was a bit different. Yeah. And as an aside, what what I haven't told you is my my hobby, the thing that I love doing, the the, the my my passionate moment is public speaking. So I'm a public speaker, and I started showing and presentations. I started showing people the way that I do public speaking and presentations. And I, it turns out the way I do it when I show these students is different to the way a lot of other people have been shown how to do it. Because I don't use a written word. I don't write and I don't read. I use visual stretches and frameworks in my head. And the people that related to this were people with dyslexia. And then I've done a couple of tests and discovered that it would seem, yeah, I've got dyslexia. But hence the stupid boy, because they didn't know how to get hold of me, how to um, communicate with me. And then um, when I went to school and they gave me a technical hands-on physical doing things, strategies and the geometric shapes and the technical drawing, it all just like, Lit my brain up, I suppose. Right. Yep, that's exactly yeah. what it did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it was that was a massive turning point for me a year ago when I started working with learning difficulties because I suddenly realized that I could do something that, that would benefit other people, which gave me so much pleasure. Um, but I could also relate to these people. Yeah. So are you, so this is the, your depression, are you still like, you still have twinges of it here and there where it pops up or have you like, I don't know if you can actually be completely cured of it, even though yours was a situational reactive depression. So it was like, once you've got the situations under control or at least um, in an understandable fashion for you to be able to accept them, did your depression, um, are you yeah, still so have it? Okay. 
Yeah, so, so well, I, I did have, I did have. Um, so I, 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 I started having, yeah, problems and, and memories. And then, uh, so I, I started following the works of a, a particular man that, that absolutely changed my, my life. Two, two men, actually, um, that changed my life. Yeah. So one was, one was a man called James Wedmore. He has a, so two podcasts. One man called James Wedmore who does um, Mind Your Business podcast, which I got into because people were saying to me, "You need to, um, you need to start coaching people how to do public speaking the way you do it. You right. need to show people how to do this." And I thought, well, I had so many failed attempts in the past, I didn't know where to turn to, so I, a, a friend of mine, recommended this podcast. So I started following him. He then put me, and that and he changed my life because he changed my life because he did. He right at the beginning of his podcast, he got he introduced me to to gratitude, which I'd never heard of before. Uh, and, and and I have a a gratitude diary, and everything something good happens, I write in that diary the good thing that happened, yep. so that it just keeps the mind triggered into good things and not negative yep. things. So. So I have a gratitude diary that was inspired by James Wedmore. And he put me onto another guy called Jim Fortin. And the guy's just fantastic. You know, everything he says is incredible. But but yet he may so Jim Fortin's has taught me that 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 your your what happens is your thoughts is so I use this from, I use his teachings in my public speaking. So in public speaking, everyone at some point has a fear of public speaking. And we all have a fear of getting up on stage in front of thousands of people, hundreds yeah. of people, even a small number, 10 people. 10, exactly. <laughs> we have this fear of getting up and speaking in front of people. And that fear, that fear comes from a belief that we might be seen to fail. We might do something wrong. We might mess up and someone might judge us. So it's a personal thought, yeah, personal feeling, that belief. But the belief is nothing more than a thought. And if it's a thought, we can change our thoughts. True. Yeah? So he's taught that and shows t techniques and systems how to do it. So now I realise that if I'm feeling a little bit sad and starting to go down that road, hang on a minute, I can put it in check and realise it's just thought, I need to change my thought. So I have various things that I change my thought to. And most of the time it's my grandchildren. If mm. I think of my grandchildren, I can think of the happy things that, that the great times I have with them, I can overcome the negative thoughts before they kick in that's yeah. good so have you thought of i know you said you're not much of a writer but have you thought of actually like maybe writing your own book in regards to like public speaking and how to switch it up for people that do have like i hate to say dyslexia as a learning disability because you can still learn it's just that they didn't actually realize that dyslexia was so prevalent up until i don't know maybe even just 10 15 years ago where they actually stopped yeah. you know punishing children 
for being bored in school because they couldn't learn the same as other children were learning. Um, You know, so I mean, have you thought of like doing, I mean, I know you have your um, Trevor Henderson, you know, limited, is that what it is, limited or? Um, Yes, yes, it's a limited company. So I've got a website, trevorhenderson.co.uk and I've got a Facebook group which is the rise of the dyslexic speaker. There you go. Where I teach my visual speaking techniques for people. Because um, even, you know, as someone that doesn't have dyslexia, sitting through meetings with spreadsheets and all of that, I mean, it's enough to put you in a coma. I mean, literally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Tell me. Yeah. 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 I, oh, I went up. So when I worked, when I worked for, you know, banks and, so, so I'd have to suffer these endless, boring, terrible meetings. And I would, I, I knew that, how bad they were, I would always sit at the back with a cup of coffee and a bag of mints and a, and a pad. So I could just doodle away and have a mint, try and keep me awake with a sip of coffee every now and then. You know, hit a cafe. You call that, let me see, um, death by PowerPoint, which I can... Yeah. Absolutely, I can relate to that. If, as a person that doesn't have dyslexia, I mean, it's just like your eyes just cloud over, and it's just like, oh my gosh. So, well, I mean, yes, yeah. Within your so, like within your company, do you have you thought about like um, I don't know copy? I don't know if you can necessarily copyright your your way you do it, but do you have like um, what do they call that? Um, were you? Wow, third time's the charm. Ah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, last time I last interview, I had the same issue with it. I don't know what the connection thing is with Anchor, but um, we're coming up to the close of this anyway. Yeah. Um, so, did have you thought about that though, like your own intellectual property and like just actually, you know, showing people a whole different way to do well, it? Well, yes, yeah. Well, I do. So on the Facebook group, I do show people a whole different way of how to do it, and I. I have plans to write a book, but I have plans to not so much write a book, I want to create a book, but create a book that's different, totally, totally different to anything else that's out there. Because, um, and I need just need to raise the funds to do that, and I've got to raise the funds by, by getting more customers, I suppose. Um, but, but essentially, if you think about, if you think about, people that write books for dyslexia at the moment. They write a book about dyslexia and do you know what the book contains? Words. Lots of words. <laughs> why? Why? Why are you... Your target market doesn't like reading and struggles with reading, so you write them a book. So I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to do... I, I, all my teach, teachings are based on... are video-based. They're not, um, they're, it's, it's visual and auditory training. It's not read-write training. Um, and I want to, to create a book, maybe even an online thing that's, that's uh, visual and auditory. It's not word-based. So maybe that's something, maybe like a video book or a comic book or something along those lines. A graphic novel. That, that sounds a like a brilliant. Novel. Yeah. A graphic novel. Just to show my teachings, my the way, the way I use my visual stretches and frameworks, and I'd, I'd love to do that. But uh, yeah, or a graphic novel when I'm not an artist will take a lot of time.
So um, I know. I'm, I don't know. You just like put the ideas out there, which you just actually put the ideas out there. And now let's see how many people want to hit you up and, um, you know, draw for your graphic novel so that you can get this, <laughs> you can get it out for you. I, you'd be surprised that once you push stuff in the universe that it, um, it cycles back, you know? Really? Yeah. No doubt. I, I must admit that's not something I'd ever thought of. I just, because I've always spent my life doing it on my own, doing everything on my own, I, I have this rather blinker view that I have to do it all on my own. You don't, you know, you said that earlier that life is not to be spent like solo, you know, when you had your um, solitary confinement period of time during your IT experiences, like, you you know, it's life is life is um, to be done with people, you know, and getting the best results for everybody involved. And um, you definitely have something to, you know, to give the world in that because, like you said in some some of those research I did that you know ten to twenty percent of the world is dyslexic is that yeah I mean that's correct it's... yeah ten to twenty percent did you know though that they they apparently fifty percent of offenders are dyslexic really <laughs> yeah fifty wow. percent of offenders are are dyslexic which makes you question okay are these the guys that were that 13-year-old boy that was told he was a stupid boy and got the cane and was fortunate enough to find a school that got him, I think maybe the one there, a lot of those are the ones who never found that school and never found that person to help them. Or never had like a supportive family on top of it too. So, I mean, that teacher was horrific to you, but your family was like looking for another option for you and they found the technical school for you. Yeah. Which, you know, very, I mean, I'm not going to say saved your life, but um, definitely, you know, put you on a way different path than you could have gone on as a 13-year-old dropout from school who had no hope, you know, and just, I mean, talk about those two different paths right there that you could have hit. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, yeah. and I mean, you still did go into the depression, which is understandable um, with everything that you went through. Um, so at this point now, you know, now that we've got you um, thinking about your graphic novel and all, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, what is, what would be like, if you could change anything in our whole entire world to make it a better place for everybody, what would you do? What would I do to make yep. the world a better place for everybody? Everybody. Um, I, I, be honest, I, I'll be honest, I think because the people that I get, that I now come in contact with the ones that are feeling of have low self-esteem because of their dyslexia and are struggling because of their dyslexia what i would do is show them what i do and how i do it and why i do it i think that's what i would change i would i would what i would change is getting getting my message out there so that i can show people that you don't need you know your low self-esteem and that feelings of inadequacy and feelings of being less oh, than other people are, are, are a false belief yeah. that you've just created a story that is that is a broken story you create a yeah. broken story in inside you it's an incomplete story because you only know what you know so see now i've convinced you that 
you can ask for help. You're going to get your graphic novel out there and you're going to change the world in your own way. See? <laughs> I love the sound of that. I do too. I do too. So do you want to give your, um, so is Trevor Henderson limited. Do you want to give your complete web um, website page? In case <coughs> people want to yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the web, the web page is www.trevorhenderson.co.uk. And the Facebook group is the rise of the dyslexic speaker. Yeah. Awesome. So anybody, if you want to um, contact Trevor um, in any way, if you just want to, you know, ask him more about his speaking, which he does do public speaking presentations. And if you want to ask him about Toastmasters, which I also saw was something that you did as far as your yeah. public speaking goes. Yeah, that's right. I'm a big, big Toastmasters fan. Big Toastmaster. <laughs> and feel free to hit him up if you want to um, discuss, uh, you know, co-writing co a book with him that is going to help change the world. That'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. I'd, and I'd love to hear from anyone. That I, I'd love to. I just want to help people. I just want to help people. I mean, my life's been changed since I've been helping people. And I just, the more I can help, the better I'm. The, yeah. the more the world is better and you're better and everybody's better. Well, I'm yeah. glad that we got to connect, Trevor. Um, even with our the stupid the tech difficulties, which maybe somewhere along the line of everything else you're doing, you can figure out a way to make a no issue tech <laughs> way to do podcasts. Because I swear that's like the dropouts, but we we got through it. We handled it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're a very interesting, dude. I'm really glad that I um, that we made this happen the second time around. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I admitted already on my page that I blew the first one. I too was going into a bit of, of a depressive mode. It's, you know, the seasonal affective disorder and all that stuff really hits me hard. So, um, yeah. no, that, but, um, that, that, it was, it was not a problem at all. It was absolutely fine. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we'll end it here on this one, but I'm not saying that this is the last time that we'll interview because, um, I find you to be extremely fascinating and, um, so, you know, and for people that are embarrassed to get the stigma of saying that they have a depression, tell them in your own words, don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you've got, yeah, forget about the stigma. There is a stigma attached, but that's, that's because someone else has got a broken story that they're telling themselves about you. So you need to, help to fix their story and understand what they're doing wrong. I like that the idea of ending it on that there are no broken people there's only broken stories i like yeah. that yeah all right trevor will you go and have an amazing rest of your evening i'm going to go and um make some lunch <laughs> okay. okay and it's been an amazing interview. um i really appreciate it and um anytime you want to come back on just hit me up and um, we'll we'll schedule it yeah yeah that'd be great yes we'll do we'll do yeah all right thank you very much well, you, thanks for your time well, you're thank welcome. You very much. thank you too have a great one you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so let's thank Trevor Henderson for an amazing interview where he goes into depth about his fall into depression, his childhood, and what it is to feel stigmatized by having a diagnosis of depression. Um, feel free to get a hold of Trevor at Trevor Henderson Limited. Um, if you want to help him with his graphic novel to get his information out there to the world, or feel free to contact him if you have um, 
similar stories and just want to connect. So this is Dawn Shireen. This is my podcast, Dancing with Bipolar. And y'all have a good one here. Stay alive.